This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Probably doing a little bit better than you, Sean, I guess. <laughs> At least you're honest. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on uh, I want to... I want to just jinx myself. I want to say this is probably day, I'm going to guess day seven or eight of COVID. I didn't know I had it till Tuesday. Uh, when the when the taste and smell went away, and I'm convinced that the smell will never return. So, uh, which is by far <laughs> the oddest. I'm telling you, it's the most bizarre thing that ever happens to you when you literally can't smell a thing. I believe it. Well, certainly hoping you get the feeling better, you and uh, Keely as well. Um, back for the first time. It looks like in a week. I'm checking our our thing. First yeah. time since February 6th. So we're recording here well, about 7 p.m. on Saturday night after Kentucky uh, won a basketball game, Sean. Yeah, and you know, one thing that I didn't notice is how many times I paused my audio last Saturday to cough until I went back and looked at our video, and I think I paused it like 20 times, So, which I should have known then. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, that it was happening to me. But I didn't cover the game Saturday night, so that's good news. And then, of course, uh, Tuesday. But, yeah, Kentucky won a basketball game, Derek, for the first time since January 23rd, and only their second win wow. since the three-game winning streak to start SEC play. and. They almost blew it again, but very very well-played second half. Scored 52 points, uh, something, Derek, that I think a month and a half ago, they were struggling to score 52 points in a game, let alone in a half. Yeah, yeah, really um, an uptick in scoring. I'm just going through the last um, four games, they've scored at least 70, which I know is not a ton, but for this team, that was you know scoring in the 50s and 60s for most of the year. Got to 82 today. Like you said, a 52-point half. I mean, for this group, we've not really seen that. And a big part of it, Sean, again, is, is three-point shooting. I mean, this this week, I know we didn't record after the Arkansas game, but we'll go into, you know, kind of take a week in review with the two games that they played. They get 25 threes this week, which for this group, I thought they might go a whole season, you know, without ever coming <laughs> close to something like that. So, really a, a great game for them in that aspect. 11 threes today. B.J. Boston hit five of those. Everybody else uh, hit one except for uh, Davion Mintz. He had two, of course, the the game winner, you could say. But, Sean, um, any, any win for this team is going to be a big win. I mean, honestly. And Auburn had beaten them once this year. It was a game that Kentucky, I think all of us felt like Kentucky probably should have won. Yeah. Certainly had their chances to win. Um, but a pretty good job overall and, and – Something to make these kids feel good because they had had some some tough losses this year, especially against Arkansas, a really tough loss. Um, but they came out on the winning end, so so maybe 
maybe they can kind of turn this thing around on the stretch and at least leave people feeling a little bit better about how this year has gone. It's going to be tough. I, mean, I think people's minds are already made up with how tough this year has been. Are you starting to feel like, though, that if they can just get to Nashville and get the SEC tournament played, they certainly have a chance to win it, Derek. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I'm not going to pick them to win it, but I think that there's – I don't think you could really just say outside of Alabama, really, who's going to win it? I mean, the way Tennessee's yeah. up and down right now. Uh, I mean, look look at what Kentucky done the last four games. They could have beaten Missouri. They should have beaten Tennessee at Rupp last week. And they had Arkansas in a position to win that game, then they win today. Like, that could have been a four-game winning streak. Take it a step further, the game against Alabama. I mean, they led going in the final four minutes Yeah, and let it slip away. You're right. Um, I know you're not betting on it either. I, I get I, I get that point of view, and I, that is something to talk about. And we did discuss that going into that stretch that started with LSU, that it was going to be one of the toughest stretches of the year. Um, let's flip that around now, man. You look at this, and you got Vanderbilt coming up. You've got a tough game at Tennessee. I mean, Kentucky – what, up until last year, they had lost to Knoxville, I think, every year against Rick Barnes, right? Something like that, some yeah. kind of stat. So they usually struggle down there, but it will be different this year. You won't have the kind of crowds that they usually have down in Thompson Bowling. But after that, you got A&M, Florida, and Ole Miss. I mean, I think you can look at a scenario now where they can close this thing out winning five out of six games or so. Yeah. So yeah, they can. if they do that, it's just, Well, it's, it just makes it so unfortunate that they had those losing streaks. They've had, what, two lengthy losing streaks. Like, what, one yeah. that was six well, games and then three games six and four. Games. I mean, it's just, it just things that you didn't think would happen, but they didn't do enough to put themselves in position to earn an at-large bid. So it, it's win the SEC tournament or nothing, but they can kind of build some momentum here before going into that tournament, if that tournament's still played, which we found out today, you know, that the committee is going to let each individual league decide if they want their regular season champion to to be the bid, or if they want to do it from the conference tournament, Derek, I actually, I think the SEC, after not having a tournament last year, I think they'll do everything to have one this year. And I would say ESPN and SEC Network will very much want them to uh, to have that tournament. I, I agree. I think they'll have it. It does make sense for some leagues. I mean, I don't know that every single conference these days does. Uh, they do have a conference tournament. I know the Ivy League used to just send their – they never even had a conference tournament. They would just send whoever won the regular season. Um, so you'll probably see that for sure from some leagues this year. But I would say the big thing, and I've not even done the math on this, Sean, maybe you have. If they did get to a point, let's just say they did win five of the next six. They, they maybe lose to Tennessee, lose to Florida, something like that. If they did get to – that would put them at what, 10 and 7? In the league. In the league? Yeah. Six, seven, eight. No, sorry, I'd put them at nine. They'd have nine wins. It's only five games left. Oh, so if, oh, they, if they if they win four of the next five. Yeah. Okay. So it'd be nine and uh, eight in the league. Would that would that be enough to get? They probably still wouldn't be playing on Friday, would they? That's that's the big thing for me is you have to get to a point where you don't have to play that game on Thursday. But I'm kind of seeing a scenario that's been tough for them not to. I mean, is nine and eight going to be good enough to get to a spot where you can play on a? That's what I'm looking Friday? at. There's a there's quite a logjam there in the middle of the league when you look at the standings. Uh, there's a lot. Well, it's of like a big deal, you know. If you, I mean, at this point, we all know their only hope of getting in is to win the conference tournament, and it's a big deal if you can get to a point where you've only got to win three. Because uh, if you're playing on Thursday night, you're probably if you win that game, you have to play a pretty good team on Friday. It's gonna be that case pretty much either way. 
Yep. Is there any kind of scenario where they could still finish in the top four or five of the league? I haven't even looked. It, looking at the standings here, so Kentucky right now, Derek, if this is updated, Kentucky is eighth at five and seven. They're ahead of Georgia at five and eight and behind Ole Miss at six and six. Uh, Missouri six and five. Has that been updated? Because I know that Arkansas Kentucky is in Missouri. Kentucky is five and seven. So I don't know if the other teams have been, but uh, well, right now, I believe I, I believe Alabama, Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, and Florida, and Florida is the number four team right now at six and four, so three games ahead of Kentucky. Uh, so they'd have to Kentucky would probably have to win out, but Tennessee at seven and five, it fits. That's surprising. Yeah, it, it's very surprising. Missouri right there at six and five, right behind them. Uh, I think this would have them playing. It would be Thursday, Friday for them, wouldn't it? Thursday, at, 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 at yeah, as the eight. So, what would it take to? What do they have to be to play on Friday? Would it have to be just top, the top, top four? four, right? Yeah, yes, that's right. I think it's well, uh, when we're so we're so used to never having to even look at these scenarios. I mean, how many times have they even been below like second in the Cal era? I mean, the last time the last time I remember them playing on Thursday was the. Have they done that? Even the NIT That's what I was about to say. on Friday. I was going to say it, yeah. I think that team even played on a Friday. They've not played on Thursday at all. Even the team four years ago with Hami and them played on Friday. So like I, Yeah, Friday, March 15th was the NIT team. So, yeah, they didn't have to play. So they've not played that's on crazy. Thursday. That's crazy. That's been a long time. I'm going to say the last time I remember it was Billy Gillespie's last year. They beat, I want to think, Ole Miss or somebody on Thursday, then lost to LSU on Friday. I think that was the last yeah. time they played on Thursday. So last time we ever saw a village on the sidelines, huh? Yeah. So you're That's you a. have to go back a long time. But just looking at the SEC standings, though, just one more look at this. I mean, this is a an LSU team now that's sitting tied for second in the league, Derek. And Kentucky kind of handled them at Rupp Arena three weeks ago. I mean, that that's what I'm talking about. That just get to the SEC tournament and see what happens. Yeah, it could have been uh, Arkansas, who's right there at number two. Yeah, so. And I think that's the most disappointing thing, is that Kentucky had their chances to win that game against Arkansas earlier this week. I mean, they're, they've played with the best in the league, should have beaten the best in the league multiple times. Uh, they're not as bad as their record is. They're not great by any means, but they're right. not as bad as what their record is. And I, I just, when you look at this thing, whenever it ends and we look back on this season, you're going to sit there and be like, how did they lose so many games that came down to just a possession or two. It's it's right. just unheard of how many games that they've lost in situations that they should have won games. Yeah, I'm actually counting that up right now. I think it was just the second win this year in a one-possession game. They beat Vanderbilt, uh, obviously meant at that three-pointer that day. But, yeah, they lost to Arkansas by one. You lose to Georgia by one. They lost to Louisville by three, lost to Notre Dame by one, and lost to Kansas by three. And we think back that Notre Dame game, they had a shot to win at the buzzer with Sar. Louisville, they were down, what, they were down one, right? And Sar had a jumper that, that fell out, would have put them up, went all the way down and came out. Um, Georgia, same deal, just a, a terrible collapse against Georgia. They got outscored, I think, 7-0 to lose that game. And then Arkansas, tough luck. He hit a big three with Mintz. I know some people were angry at the call on the other end. It is what it is. I mean, they still had a chance to run a play. Kentucky did with four seconds left. You know, things happen. They didn't come out with a win, uh, but they played hard. They they continued to play hard, and that's kind of how I viewed today's game. It was more or less uh, 
you know, they trailed the whole first half, didn't really play well, didn't shoot the ball well at all out of the gate. Got to a point in the second half, Sean, looked like they could kind of run away with it. And then yeah. Auburn made some good plays. Um, I, I felt like the people in Rupp Arena thought there were some really tough calls going against Kentucky. Auburn, more than any time I really remember, man, they kind of sold a lot of those. Shreve Cooper in particular is a, was, a good actor, I would yeah, say. Very, got a future. Well, Devin Askew said that on Friday. And then he kind of was uh, on the other end of getting one of those, you know, against, against Sharif Cooper. He was. Mance had a tough one. I mean, Mance's was, you know, there was some contact there. But the fact that they even had to go review it to see if there was any contact in the head and then the refs probably realized, like, oh, man. Yeah, but that did. wasn't the only time they fell for it. There were a few times. But well, that's like both, both coaches got a tee today. Like, I'm sure nobody was happy with the officiating with how it turned out. I, I will say this, too. At the end of the game, Keon Brooks getting called for that foul. Boy. Uh, it makes you wonder how many of those officials were looking at Vegas considering what the line was. Three and a half? Is I thought it was. At one point it was two. So I don't know what it ended up being. Ooh. But it was, I mean, it was so very. That, that meant a lot to some people at last foul, did. It did. So, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, how funny is it that Keon Brooks' dad always gets mistaken to be Keon Let's Brooks? him. Yeah. Junior on Twitter. When he says something, it's like everybody else is like, this kid's complaining. It's not even him. I was going to say, people who didn't pick up on that, I mean, I think Keon would have had to have had his phone with him out on the court with how fast that that thing got tweeted out, you know? <laughs> well, that's like uh, uh, one game, somebody thought that he was tweeting from the bench in one of the losses, and it wasn't. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's that's the first time I even realized that Keon, I, I'd never even seen Keon Brooks' dad tweet before. Because I, I thought the same thing when I saw it at first, and then I you know did a little further, and I was like, oh, yeah, Keon, <laughs> Keon is a junior. Um Couple couple points I wanted to talk about, Sean. When I look at Ken Palm, I go to the go to the conference only. There are some really interesting, I guess you can call them stats or whatever from this report. Um, and I'm not saying we need to change the narrative. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. This team, and maybe it's partially because of how bad from us a season they were offensively we've kind of held on to this rep that this is a good defensive team, and I think it is. It's still a top 25 defensive team nationally on Ken Palm, but when you talk about the conference only, they're at seventh in the league on defensive efficiency, which is much, much lower uh, than almost, for sure, pretty much at any other point in the Calipari era. I mean, you think about just the numbers. They've given up 80 points, at least 80 points, three straight games, which they won today, but they lost the other two. Very rare. They've never given up three straight games. They've never given up two straight games, first of all. Or they hadn't since 2017. Hadn't given up two straight games with at least 80 points at home. And now they've they've moved past that in three straight. When you look at the turnover percentage defensively, they're last in the league. So Auburn did turn it over 17 times today. Yeah. But for for a lot of times in conference, they've had a kind of – the numbers have kind of suggest they've had a really difficult time forcing turnovers. Yeah. And just just looking, you know, and going off the numbers that you just put out there, it's it just makes the season even more bizarre, right? Like when they were a good defensive team, statistically, they couldn't score and win those right. games. And then the games that they've been scoring 80 points, they still were losing them because they couldn't stop anybody. That just uh, – I'm wondering, too, though, if they've – if things have maybe flipped in practice in this recent stretch, too, Derek, that they've maybe spent more time on the offensive end – than they have the defensive end, just given how poorly they, they struggled to score points there for, what, two and a half, three months. Uh, because certainly yeah, their was... offense is figured out. They're getting more easy baskets in transition. They're getting to the free throw line. They're rebounding their misses. I think that was a big thing today 
there down the stretch too, that they just get it up on the rim. You saw a couple of times where Cal got mad when they didn't take a three. And you know Davion yeah. Mintz has been taking the quick threes in transition, something I never thought that you'd see Kentucky teams do under John Calipari. But it seems like that Cal has kind of flipped it. And I think maybe that's why they're giving up some more points too. They're getting more possessions in games. They're shooting more shots than what they were at – they have been significantly better offensively, though, and I, I'm okay with it. Just uh, they've played some teams in Arkansas and Auburn who like to get up and get out and run and score. Uh, Tennessee was the other one too that they had been struggling to score on their, on their own, and now they had what eight? How much did they score against Kentucky last week? Which team? Tennessee. Eighty-two. Yeah, they struggled to score big time against LSU today. I watched some of that game. Which is surprising because, like, no one really struggles to score on LSU. No. No. That, so, oh, You know, you texted me the other night when they beat Georgia, and talking about, you, you know, Tennessee going to the Final to Four. Oh, and, uh, not throwing you out there because certainly they have, when it comes to talent and experience, but I texted you today, Derek, and I just said that Rick Barnes does not do well when he has elite talent. They should certainly be much better than 7-5 and five in the SEC. They should. Year. I mean, That's you crazy. see Fulkerson kind of going the other direction, didn't start today. Uh, I just feel like that Rick Barnes does so much better when he has the guys like Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, who turned into really good college players. But when you get these five-star guys, and those five-star freshmen that they have, Derek, it's the best in the league when you look yeah, at those are. two. I mean, that's that's Kentucky that usually has those kids. Those guys deserve to start, but I think that's the challenge for Rick Barnes between now and the end of the season is uh, to not do what's happened to him over the course of his career when he's had five-star talent. There absolutely should be one of those teams when you talk about being in the mix, just given their roster alone. But you're right. In a in a one game, you know, if you mess up one game and you're out, the single elimination type tournament, I don't think there's any way with how Tennessee's played this year that you can trust a team like that to make a run. But no. Johnson is, is – go, go for it. Go for it. I was just saying, Johnson's like what he did at Kentucky. I mean, he's. I think ESPN's got him in the top ten. Springer's on the floor. Water pick. Yeah, I mean, you got two guys that most nights when you play can be two of the best players on the floor. And then Pons hasn't done a ton for them this year. Fulkerson, like you said, is. They had. I don't know what's wrong with that combined today. Those two did. Wow, I didn't get to watch any of that game. So Uh, that's the thing that's they're going the other direction. I mean, I don't know what Fulkerson did against Georgia, but at Kentucky, it's really funny because last year against UK, he drew what like eleven fouls in yeah. one half. He killed, and then and then he couldn't stay on the floor at all like against Kentucky the other night. He was just in foul trouble constantly. But you know, Barnes has got a good roster on I there. Mean, I still think, pure talent wise, I still think they're better than Alabama. And maybe they people are. think I'm crazy, but I think they are. Well, um, like you said, that you don't trust Tennessee the way that they've been so inconsistent this year is the same reason that when it gets into a tournament format, I don't trust Alabama to win a national championship or get to a Final yeah. Four because they're going to have a night where they don't shoot it well. It uh, does feel like this is the year where everybody is chasing. I'll watch Gonzaga play BYU a little bit of that game. And just their movement and execution offensively is you don't see that a lot in college basketball. And the way Baylor's played, I mean, I think why Baylor's still undefeated, a power five team. And it's kind of wild that Baylor's kind of been overshadowed by how good Gonzaga's been because Baylor's right there with it. And honestly, Derek, I've not talked to you about this, that Scott Drew's a guy that I would kind of have my eye on depending on which elite job opens first, given that what he's done in in recent years, which I know that's getting a little bit off topic, Mm -hmm. but – that's a guy that I don't Baylor think a long he's time mentioned now. one time when it's come to filling one of these elite jobs. Yeah, Scott Drew has been at Baylor since 2003. So, 
He's one of those guys that have been around a long time. Um, with Gonzaga, I mean, that's another team that I don't know how much people care about the NCAA tournament right now because as of now, Kentucky won't be in it. Um, but I'll be curious to see if one of those teams can finish it off. I'd say Baylor probably get knocked before, but you look at Gonzaga's schedule, I don't know if he's going to beat those guys I mean, before the tournament starts. So they'll have a chance to have an undefeated season. They'd be some really good teams at the beginning of the year. Um, back to UK, another thing that kind of made me laugh when I looked at this Ken Palm thing. In the conference only, in terms of efficiency, offensively, Kentucky is terrible at shooting twos. They're 43.9% in the efficiency, which is worse than the league. But defending the two, they're the best. So just kind of funny to me. Um, Kentucky does take a lot of top twos. I think at one point today they were like 8 for 22 on a row. They finished 16 for – do some quick math right here. Um 16 for uh, 49, is that right? No, 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 39, sorry. 16 for 39. From two. Uh, I didn't go to college, I've been a math major. From two, yeah, I believe that's right, 63 minus 24. Yeah, that's right, 39. How many times when you see Jacob Toppin come off one of those curls or something, you just, you know he's going to miss it, but then he drills it. Like, it's just. Yeah, I think Matt Jones said today he's like the one player who he's sure is going to miss it, but he makes more shots than you would think. Something like that. Which that makes sense the other night. Like, yeah, banked one in. Yeah, I do think that he's a kid though that's going to be very, very good if he commits to the process at Kentucky and just. He's stays. got to spend his whole summer working on that jump shot. He does. I mean, against Arkansas, you can see so many times his side of the floor was open, and Arkansas just didn't even care about him out there. And I know he hit two against them, but he hadn't hit he hadn't hit one all season before that. Um, but no, Sean, these let's let's talk about BJ Boston real quick because he's. Plenty of times this year we've talked about him and, and how he wasn't really living up to what he was billed as. Five threes today. And that's what, how many did he hit last game? He hit four last game, so he's hitting nine in his last two games. So it seems like he's coming around quite a bit. He's getting some good looks. Well, he freed himself open a few times today. He he does seem to have turned the corner a little bit. He still went five for 12, but, I mean, he shot eight threes. I like that number for him. He took Overall, I mean, he, too, he's, he's done a good job. He did, yeah, twice. He's he's a guy, Derek, that I kept saying it on here. Why is he missing shots? We got asked for months in mailbag, and I just kept, I have no idea. I, I just I did not know why he was missing so many shots, and you get you're getting to see why now because this is what I saw when I was watching him in the EYBL. This is what I would see when I'd turn on. Highlight tapes was he would hit open shots. He was miss he missed open shots for three months. Yeah, that that that's just so unheard of. I think his now at one point he was shooting what sixteen seventeen percent from three, and I think Derek with one more just halfway decent game, he may be getting close to thirty percent on the year, which isn't great. But when you're talking about at one point he was he's twenty nine point four percent on the year now, from three. At one point, that was below 17. Yeah, wasn't he like 7 for for 40 maybe? He 7 for 50-something, I think, at one point. Oh, my goodness. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. But he's really turned it around. Um, I thought that was a big thing about today's game. I mean, you really 11 threes as a team, but you get one guy like BJ who really got going today. Uh, that was important. Isaiah Jackson. Incredible. 
Yeah, and it sounds like I think we're bouncing around a lot, but we've not talked on here in a, in a week, so we're just going to say, you know, we're just going to go wherever our minds take us. But Isaiah Jackson, 18 and 11, his numbers this year and his minutes have been so strange. <laughs> but it did seem like Cal definitely, even early on, like I guess Isaiah was just playing well, but you, you kind of knew that Isaiah was going to end up playing more minutes than he has all season and puts I up career high 18 points. I love the adjustment there to start the second half offensively, and I'm hoping that's how they play the rest of the season uh, with Olivier Saar. Like, he had, what, three assists in the first four minutes of the second half because uh, they were kind of playing through him. They were fronting the post. They did some hollow action there. They ran some of that Spain action with Saar coming open and getting the three. Uh, playing a lot more with him facing the basket, Derek, I think has been one of the biggest changes over the last, yeah. what, 60 minutes of basketball? That they've played. Speaking of him, let's go back to what we were going to talk about after the Arkansas game. And this is regarding Star. Um, Cal was asked, I think he was 8 for 15 on the season shooting threes. Yeah. And Cal was asked after the game about Olivier maybe getting some more. And his reaction was very much like, how many do you want him to shoot? You know, you know what I'm saying? People probably heard his comments by now that you're listening to this. And you said this to me. I, I, maybe I'm taking, trying to paraphrase your words a little bit, but Basically, if you're hoping that Cal's going to change for next season, should you be concerned that that was kind of his take on Saar, who just watching him shoot the ball, just kind of a stroke and everything, like he kind of looks like one of their better shooters. But it seems like Cal has an, uh, an aversion to him shooting threes. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's what I texted you. It's, I was it's like in his mind, if he's a center, like there's a, like you don't need to be like, – even though he can hit them, it's almost like Cal thinks he maybe shouldn't shoot them. I don't know. That's, yeah. that's probably my take on it. But. And he did do some good things today in post-up situations, uh, but he's so much better facing the basket than he is with his back to the basket. Uh, he's not the strongest guy, but he's really, when you, like you mentioned it, like his form and everything in the ball of his hand. I mean, I would, if you lined him up and let him shoot threes right now and you asked me to put money on somebody, I would probably <laughs> lean towards picking him if we're doing a three-point shootout with the team, just given his release and how consistent he's been. Like today he shot three. Me personally, if he shoots 12 shots a game, Derek, I, would, I wouldn't I would mind seeing him shoot six or seven three-pointers, honestly, as long as they're clean looks. Yeah, I think that's a good number. Um, looking at these other three-point attempts, Boston took eight, Mintz took six, which Mintz is pretty streaky. I think we've kind of realized that over the season. But best thing you can say about him, man, and I think, I think it's kind of where you saw his veteran presence show up today is on the possession when Kentucky was still up two with under a minute left, he, first of all, I think he passed up an open shot, and then he passed it to BJ, who also passed up an open look. Gave it back to Davion, and it left Davion on a spot where he needed to create, and he turns it over, and the jam's tied because it leaves an easy layup. Doesn't affect him one bit, man. He comes back down. As soon as he gets it, lines up, he's open, knocks it down. He has a bit of a clutch factor, doesn't he? It certainly seems like anyway. Which which is, like, huge. Uh for this team and if he decides to come back next year, which is something that you and I've talked about on this show um, a month ago, I think, was when we were talking about he's a guy that if he decides to use that extra year. Now, today Cal was asked about it, and he kind of just threw that question and said, hey, I'm only worried about Vanderbilt in this year, which is something, too, Derek, that he's not going to get into right now. That's something that won't be decided probably till late March or May or uh, April or somewhere through there if he's going to use that year or, or not. But 
it kind of seems like Kentucky is developing some identities. It, they know who they want to play through late in games. They know who's going to be the guy to take the the big shot that they need. Um, Askew hit a big one today, late in the clock, that I thought was was massive. And he struggled. Like we've we've talked about it, you and I, in, in text and stuff. But his assist and turnover numbers have been significantly better over the, the last few games, which I think kind of gets hidden inside of some of the other struggles that he has in his game where he can't beat people off the bounce. We saw that again happen at times today. But he's not playing as poorly when you look at the stats. I mean, five rebounds today, four assists, two turnovers, nine points in 33 minutes. I kind of feel like you're at a point, Derek, where we already knew this. Kentucky doesn't have anyone else when it comes to running point guard. That's why Askew's played as many minutes as he's, as he has this season. Because, honestly, it's it's not as good when Davion Mintz has to run the show at the one. They're better with Mintz off the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You look up and it might not seem like it, but, yeah, Devin led the team in minutes again today with 33. Um, matter of fact, only Isaiah Jackson and B.J. Boston also played at least 30. He has been doing some better things. Um, SQ is kind of what he is for this team. He still, for my liking, I mean, maybe talks a little too much to the refs, which is, you know, that's it is what it is. I mean, if Cal doesn't have a problem with it, then I guess it's whatever. But I just think it kind of hurts your chances if you're complaining every single time there's a call. Like, I just don't think you're going to get – just like a, as a human, if I was a ref, like I know you're supposed to stay partial or whatever and do your job no matter what people are saying to you. But the human element would tell me that – I would probably lean more towards people who aren't on me every single time I make a call. So maybe that's something Devin will change as he gets a little bit older in the game or things like that. But the stat line was fine. I mean, nine points, five boards, four assists, only two turnovers. Pretty good game for him. Took eight shots. Uh, hit the only three that he put up there. So it'll yeah. be interesting. To me, I still think his role is going to change next year. It will. With, with Hickman coming in. But – this experience he's getting now will help Kentucky if they're in a pinch next year for whatever reason and need somebody. And, you know, looking here at the stats and the turnovers, you know, Saar leads them with four turnovers, but how many of those are just foul calls that he gets? Just some of the most bizarre yeah. foul calls. Like, I guarantee you 60% of his turnovers have either been a moving screen or something with an elbow posting up. Uh, but Kentucky turnovers, 13 today. That number, I mean, you'd like to see it be maybe 9-10. But it was good enough to win. Uh, one more thing, too, Derek. Just looking at the stats and looking at the last few games, the rotation's getting smaller, especially late in the season. This Right now, this isn't an NCAA tournament team. They all have aspirations and hopes of winning the league tournament and getting to the NCAA tournament. I don't think anyone's going to count Kentucky out until the final horn sounds in Nashville. They've obviously got a chance to win that tournament, but... Dante Allen, minutes have completely just about disappeared. He played 10 minutes. I don't think he played at all in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Lance Ware down to four minutes, which really we're not surprised with Lance. Lance plays a ton when Sar's not giving him something or Jackson's not playing a lot. So it kind of seems like the rotation is shaped out to be what it is. I think that you're going to see it as this goes down the stretch here. It's going to be Askew, Boston, Mintz, Jackson, Sar. Brooks and Toppin if anybody comes off the bench I just think that that's who it's going to be as we get into late in the season in the SEC tournament uh what do you think of that yeah and at this point I really think it's probably just as well um Dante did come in knock down a three but you know if BJ's playing well 
and I would say he has been, the need to have someone like Dante on the floor, I think, diminishes a little bit. Because the whole thing about getting Dante in is it spreads the defense out, puts them in a spot that you at least have to be aware that there's a shooter on the floor. And for most of the year, when like we were talking about earlier, well, when BJ is shooting the ball, I don't know, 16% or whatever it was or worse, you don't have to worry about a kid like that. But BJ comes out, hits five threes. I don't think you need Dante as much. Um, no. I will say I thought Dante did some good things when he was in, though. I thought he defensively did some good things, had some tip passes, I believe, was pretty good on some rotations. But at this point in the year, I do think we kind of see him as a, as a bit of a one-trick pony, I guess you could say. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I mean, he's pretty much a spot-up shooter, and that's about it. Well, he, I'm not saying he's terrible on defense. Like, I think Cal probably gave him that rep, and I, I wouldn't say he's just flat-out terrible. But I, I certainly think that Cal views Toppin as, as much more valuable on well, that he, side of the ball. He does. He got him rolling there at the start of SEC play. I mean, what Dante did in those first two or three games was the big reason why Kentucky won three straight. But mm-hmm. we were screaming for him to get his opportunity. He got it. Uh, since the Georgia game at Georgia where he started, he's not been great. Like, he's he's not shot the ball as well. I've not looked at his numbers. Let me pull them up right here to see exactly what they are for the season. Um, he's still shooting 41% from the three-point line. But just overall, minutes and everything has been dropping significantly, it seems like, since that game at Auburn a month ago. But there's still people that are screaming, you know, why is he not playing? Honestly, Derek, guys are playing better now. Like the guys that he was playing over that gave him the opportunity, B.J. Boston, and those guys, they're playing better than Dante Allen right now. So I kind of think that Cal's kind of justified in playing him the limited minutes that he has been playing him. But they're going to they're gonna need him at some point down the stretch. There's going to be a game where Dante is going to climb into 18- to 25-minute range, I think, especially if somebody gets in foul trouble. Or if he goes in and he knocks down two or three threes early, you don't know. Yeah, that's to me that's the big thing with him is – if he comes in and he's just, you know, lighting it up, gets in, it's a few threes, I think you're definitely going to see his minutes go up. But if he's not in a spot where he's knocking down shots, I can understand the logic and not playing him as much. Um, where is kind of the same deal? Like, a game like today, I know Isaiah was playing great, but where just didn't really match up in a game like this, I don't I don't, I don't think. In an up-and-down kind of game, he, he's someone who's a little bit better. Uh Missouri was probably the best fit for him. That's the game he played the most minutes. Uh, you know, they had some big muscled-up guys at Missouri, and he came in there and played, played pretty well. But I think Ware is probably fine with that as well, because I don't think Ware came in with the rep as someone who was trying to get out of here as fast as possible. I don't no. think he was someone who came here to develop. He's gotten some good minutes this year. I still think next year I think he'll play some more. Something to add in the next year's team, though, that they don't really have this year, is you're going to have Oscar, who is going to be the best physical presence they've had in a while. And I think Lance's role in this team is he's more probably more physical than anybody else, you would think, anyway. So, either way, um, the rotation is what it is. I, I'm, I'm on the same train as everybody else. You know, I, I know there are going to be people who stream for Dante regardless uh, but I, I don't I don't see anything wrong with this. Like I don't watch the games right now. There were times this year where I would watch and be like, why do they not have him on the floor? Like, what is BJ doing? What is yeah. Devin Askew doing that keeps him on the floor so much? Whereas here lately, I've not had as many of those moments where I kind of wondered, 
Yeah, I wouldn't say dude, I wouldn't say Dante's in a slump right now, but I mean he only took three shots the whole day. It's not like he's going down there and missing every single one he takes. But when you're someone who doesn't really create your own shot and you're kind of dependent on getting open through the flow of the offense, I mean you're just not going to get a ton of opportunities in his ten minutes. I think you play. Oh. So I think he'll still have games like you said. He'll come in, he'll hit some shots that's going to keep him on the floor. But maybe I think if BJ's going to be playing well. I don't think that the minutes are that lopsided, basically. No, I, I think that just just looking at it, you know, like I said, Lance Ware's kind of their their plug and fill guy when they need him, and he's been very good in that role, Derek. When when they've needed him, he's come up big in some games. Mississippi State early in the early in SEC play, so you know you have guys that are capable, and I still feel like there's going to be a game down the stretch here, or maybe in the league tournament where foul trouble is going to hit or something's going to happen and Lance Ware is going to have to play 25, 26 minutes. Or Dante is going to have to go in and play, you know, 24, 25 minutes. So it's good to have those guys that have. But guys are starting to play well right now. B.J. Boston, you kind of got to ride what he's doing. Uh, I like how he's playing right now. I like that he, for the first time, though, it looks confident when he shoots the ball. He was taking shots majority of the season, but I don't even think he thought they were going in. Now it feels like, he knows they're going in. I know today people thought that Cal got upset when he pulled that quick one. I think he was upset with Olivier Sarr for not getting the offensive rebound. I don't think he was mad that Boston pulled the shot. I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about or not. They're in the second half in front of the UK bench. But it looked like he was yeah. mad at Sar because he thought Sar could uh, possibly get the offensive rebound there. But uh, we do have – somebody did ask us to talk about the most recent offer to Trevor Kills, the shooting guard for 2021. Derek, that offer came out of nowhere last night, and it's an offer that Kentucky's got in late on, but it's one of those situations where Cal and Kentucky's not going to extend that offer if they feel like they don't have a chance to get it. Yeah, I thought that was interesting and might be a good indicator of – kind of the sword that he still swings in recruiting, that you can go this long on a five-star kid who has an offer from Duke. The, technically still the defending national champ, right, with Virginia? Yeah. Uh, and then I can't remember the other school that's in his final list. but Villanova's in there. Villanova, okay. So, yes, these powerhouse programs that have all won titles within, what, the last five, six years, and you can wait it out this long. One, I guess my question would be, and I don't follow this as closely, I know Jaden Hardy for a long time was their main priority in that class. We've all kind of written him off for a while. But then also Hunter Salas seems to be trending the other way. Is that why they waited so long to offer him? Or is there something else? Did they get some kind of vibes from that camp over there that, hey, if you guys get on this kid, you'll have a pretty good chance to get him? I don't know. I watched his tape last night and try to get a kind of feel for what he reminded me of. Unlike a lot of the highlight tapes you watch where kids are just dunking on people's heads over and over, like a lot of his film was – taking jump shots, knocking down threes. I think he'd be a good fit for next year's team. I would just be curious more to hear the backstory of how this offer came about and, yeah, kind of like what are their chances because I think a lot of people have written him off to Duke already. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing. You know, Kentucky gets in late on this. But, like I said, it, it's one of those things where I, I don't think Cal does it if he feels like he doesn't have an opportunity. But I think this is Cal – looking at his roster next season with what he has coming in with Nolan Hickman. Obviously, Sky Clark is kind of the wild card because we don't know what's going to happen. We've mentioned Davion Mintz, as it's been thrown out there, that he could possibly decide to be a six-year guy and use that blanket waiver the NCAA has provided. But 
just looking at the roster, the biggest thing that we've talked about, Derek, is their backcourt. We feel really good about their frontcourt with Oscar and Damian Collins, and then if Lance Ware comes back, Jacob Toppin, Keon Brooks possibly. You like what they have there, but the biggest thing that we've talked about is, you know, who who's the backcourt? What changes this team next year? It has to be guard play, right? So you kind of yeah. look at this, and I think that Kills kind of fits a need. He's a shooter. Uh, he's a combo guard, good size, and an elite talent. I think that that's what Cal and the staff is looking at right now. They're thinking maybe Salas is trending away to Gonzaga, uh, Jaden Hardy possibly to the G League. You kind of need some elite talent, and this is kind of your last-ditch effort, right? Yeah, I would say so in terms of guards that are left in the high school. I mean, unless there's some kind of reclass kid that I don't know about. I, I would say he is, and I would think – at any point in the recruiting process, a kid would be receptive of Kentucky. Um, and I don't I don't know what Duke's roster looks like. I did some scanning around after Kentucky offered him, and it sounds like Duke is, you know, could have a much more crowded backcourt than Kentucky because if you're looking at UK's roster and you're a five-star kid, I mean, you got to think BJ's gone, Terrence Clark's probably gone. So I've mentioned it. I don't know if I mentioned it on here with you, but, like, it was kind of an argument that I made for Dante Allen not leaving is that, hey, you don't really have a five-star guy no. coming in here that might take a bunch of your minutes next year like you had this year with B.J. and Terrence. Well, flip that around for the recruits' perspective. Kills might be looking at this thing and saying, I mean, there's not a whole lot there that I would have to beat out to get a ton of minutes next year. So I would think that would be an advantage for Kentucky is, you know, I mean, he would be the – I don't know if he'd be the crown jewel of this class. I'd say Damian Collins has got that wrapped up unless they get a guy like Jaden Hardy, which we do not expect. So, yeah, it was certainly intriguing. I'll say that because uh, that name I was familiar with, but you just—it's hard for me to think two things. One, we've talked about before. Kentucky typically does not offer kids or make it public unless they have a good chance of getting them. And two, I mean, I still think you would waste your time offering a kid at this late in the game if you didn't think you had a really good shot to get them. Nope. That—that's wow. that's exactly my thought on it too that they think or maybe this is something that Cal's been working on for a bit and they just didn't make it public until now. Uh, not really sure exactly the whole backstory to that, but it's something to pay close attention to. It's a guy Kentucky needs. I think right now Kentucky takes anybody for next year. They got one guard you know, coming in, and you kind of think that the backcourt would include Devin Askew and Dante Allen for sure and possibly Davion Mintz. I think as this thing goes game to game, Derek. I I just I'm putting Davion Mintz almost top priority that I think that Cal needs to sit down when the season's over and be like, hey, come back. Especially that he's developed an identity as being their, you know, big time shooter when it comes to taking big time shots late in games. If you can bring that back, you do it every single time. There's a there's a place on the roster for it. I love the idea of having someone like Mintz. Like I, I if you can get the roster to a spot where he can come off the bench next year and still have games where he plays a lot of minutes but not have to count on him as much, I think he's a great role player to have. Yeah. And uh, I would certainly welcome him back. I mean, we kind of clamor for experience every single year. Well, we can't really get more experience than a 60-year guard. <laughs> so <laughs> no. I like the idea of him coming back. I mean, kind of look at the scene right now. If you do get him back and assume Dante stays, you'd have Hickman, Askew, Mintz, and Allen. And I don't know what's going to happen with Sky Clark. Um, if you get a kid like – so even if they get kills, I would still – I would still probably be in the market for a transfer. 
as well. I think that's a smart thing to do next year. I don't know who it would be. Me and you, after the uh, Tennessee game, spent some time on the phone talking, to, trying to find some targets as to maybe who yeah, would we, be interested. We looked across all of college basketball. <laughs> but there are always kids that pop up that you just wouldn't expect. I was I was trying to look at veteran guys who might want to, who might be in the same spot as Davion, really, who want to come back and use another year. Um, there's really no reason for me to name any of the names just because it's total speculation. But I have no idea what those kids would be interested in doing. Um, but th- that would be interesting to me if Kentucky tried to emphasize an experienced guy or, or maybe just best case scenario. I, mean, I think I think you'll probably see some Power Five guys though, who or maybe not even Power Five because like Big East schools technically aren't considered Power Five, but some really good basketballs played in that league. You could get some guys from some pretty good leagues who who want to use an extra year, and I'll be interested to see kind of who they target in that process because I think there's no doubt. Obviously, this kid they just offered is no lock, so no, and, and, and find another guard from somewhere who can well, preferably getting at. fill it up. And that's what I was getting at with Scott Clark. You know, I've said for months that I think Scott Clark will be on Kentucky's roster next year, but if they go get another guard, if they if they go get kills. Or if they get someone else, then I could kind of see Clark staying in 22, just given the that Devin Askew being back, if they get Davion Mintz back. There's a lot of pieces that have to kind of shuffle around between now and May, I think. for uh, We won't know, I don't think, for a while until what it's going to look like in the backcourt. But uh, it looks like Cal's trying everything he can to get some elite talent there and have some options, which will be interesting to follow when the season does end, Derek. But we wanted to hop on here recap Kentucky's win talk a little bit about the last six or seven days since we've not been able to record since I've been uh, uh, hit with COVID-19 the last the last week done everything I could to not get COVID and then I go get COVID and uh, honestly I'm just ready to get this thing over with and hopefully get back to a normal schedule on here I didn't get I didn't have much wind a couple of days ago so if you would have had me on the podcast you'd have had it all of it you'd had to do all of it Derek because I, I could talk for maybe 20 seconds and I'd had to take a break <laughs> Well, yeah, we, get, we hope you get the feeling better. Um, happy to get back here and record, hopefully in the coming days. I mean, there was a lot that we didn't talk about that happened. Um, yeah, we, we got to get to some football stuff this week. we got to talk about the transfers. I sent you a picture today of Will Levison. He's absolutely jacked. I didn't realize how big he was. I read uh, which hats up to the cat scan guys, Kalen and, and Travis and Burke. They had him on their podcast last week. I'd recommend going to listen to that. But also read an athletic story. Uh, and I believe you probably mentioned the podcast too. I can't remember, but uh, had to join a regular gym. <laughs> so he's still up uh, at Penn State. You know, he's not working out with the team up there anymore. So he's just going to Planet Fitness or whatever, and then working out there. But uh, yeah, had a coaching change, and also this upcoming week. I mean, softball season's already started. Yeah, they're already playing three and zero this weekend. Yeah, but baseball's playing next week, so we'll probably have an episode where we preview um, preview baseball, softball, man. I don't know a ton about the roster. I can tell you Rachel Lawson's going to have them in the top 15 every single year, pretty yeah. much. Uh, but with baseball, I think there are some really interesting discussions that can be had uh, yeah. regarding how important the season is. So we'll spend the day hopefully doing that. And then, of course, we got some basketball games this week. And I think we're going to be snowed in, Sean. This weather looks treacherous yeah, uh, and, this week. And I'm kind of wondering if I'm going to – you know, I'm approved to go cover the game at Vanderbilt on Wednesday, but given that I just had COVID, I don't know if a road trip's the best thing for me on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I'm I'm going to test again probably the first couple of days this week and see where I am. Uh, definitely don't feel like going on a road trip right now. So I'm, I'm probably – I haven't covered a game since Alabama at Rupp Arena. That's the last game I've covered because something has happened – 
every single time that I've been that I've gone to cover, and then boom, I get COVID. I was in to get this one and Arkansas, and that's the crazy thing about it. Just because, like, I thought I just had a sinus infection. You you know, I almost if if Keeley wouldn't have got sick Tuesday morning, I would have been at Rupp Arena Tuesday night feeling perfectly fine. That's Spreading scary. Around. That's scary because <laughs> I I yeah. felt fine, and then once it got to Wednesday. Then I was like, okay, I'm really tired. Like, I, yeah. And then I knew that I, I've obviously had this thing for about a week now, but obviously not knowing until Tuesday. But uh, I know one place I will be going as soon as I can taste and smell again, and that will be the Butcher's Pub. Two locations, one in Pineville, one in Williamsburg. And then they got a new one on the way, Derek, in March. Uh, Going to be opening one right there off I 75 in London, Kentucky. So the Butcher's Pub's expanding. You can visit thebutcherspub.com, or you can check them out on Facebook. Uh, we'll be back this week. Should be a full week, Derek. I'm I'm pretty excited to get back into a normal groove and hit the hit the ground running here as Kentucky closes out this basketball season. We move into baseball and softball season. We got a lot of football to talk about. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.